And I'm just going to let you know that in many encounters that you have with people, it's going to go beyond the natural, and there is going to be a spiritual conflict. We are in a day in which, in third world countries, in which there is a much greater welcoming of the understanding of spiritual things than in America, Satan has no problem pulling off his guise and showing himself to the people for who he is. And I will tell you this, if you have never been in a power encounter in which someone is being demonized and that demon is being cast out, you are going to be in for a big surprise. Because our struggle truly is against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In our country, with all of its intellectualism, Satan simply feels safer to keep his guys on. Our problem is, the problem we, Gehazi had, the servant of Elijah, Elisha, and that is that we need our eyes opened. And when the armies of Samaria, uh, 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 of Damascus, had come into uh, the city of Israel, Samaria, Elisha had no problem. He was not filled with fear. And Gehazi said, what are we going to do? Look at these people. They're going to kill you. And Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes so that he can see. And when his eyes were opened, he was able to see angels in flames guarding them and then blinding the eyes of these Syrians. I'm just explaining to you that we are in a spiritual conflict. The passage that we're going to look at here tells us that Jesus had an encounter with a demon. Our problem is we think so narrowly that this is the only example in, or manifestation, if you will, of the types of spiritual conflicts that we have. But there are many. In the very next story, Peter's mother-in-law is sick, and what does Jesus do? Does he lay hands on her and say, be healed? He actually rebukes the fever. Now, don't you think that odd? He rebukes the fever. Later, just a few verses later, as people are gathering around outside Peter's home, he begins ministering, healing, and rebuking the demons. Now, we know this, that in, for example, it's in Matthew 12, that there is a blind and mute spirit that has controlled a man so that he is, well, guess what? Blind and mute. Now, Matthew tells us that he healed him. Luke tells us in Luke 11 that he cast the demon out. And so demons have an ability to have a physical manifestation, and they are to be rebuked. Now, what I want to be able to do is talk about this encounter that Jesus has been empowered and endowed with authority to deal with as the Messiah, as the Son of God, God come in the flesh. Now, to, to do that, uh, we're, we're going to need to get into a number of things, but I want us, as we begin to hone in on this, make it very practical. The example that I gave you was a very practical experience. Guys, do not ever 
when your wife gets upset to you, with you, turn to her, her and say, I rebuke you, devil, and Jesus, don't do that, okay? Whew. I just pray that that couch gets real comfortable for you because that's where you'll find yourself sleeping. There is a time and place for this, but we are in a day in which Satan, though he may not manifest himself as readily as he did in cultures that actually believe in spirits and demons and angels and the power of God, in America, not so much so. So he feels real comfortable keeping his guys on and trying to act really intellectual. And this is just an emotion. That guy didn't just experience an emotion. He experienced demonic control. So we're going to look at this passage <clears throat> in just a moment. But in John 10.10, let me just preface what I'm going to read here with this. In John 10.10, you're familiar with this passage. I've quoted, read it to you, and I've spoken to it. <clears throat> but Jesus... <clears throat> it said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the thief is a metaphor for Satan himself. Now, we know this. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come, Jesus says, to give you life and that to the full. King James says, abundantly. And I'm just going to let you know this right up front. If you want to experience that life in Jesus Christ to the full, you're going to experience conflict. You cannot get away from it. You have a bullseye on your back. You are a target for the enemy, and he is going to attack you. The sooner we realize that much of this attack and this confrontation that we experience is demonic in origin the sooner we'll be able to walk in victory. Now, secondly, I am preaching through Luke 4 here at the present. Though there's much more that we're going to talk about concerning this concept of life in the Spirit. And again, let me just say this, that we have life in the Spirit because the Spirit of God indwells us. Having believed you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. He is called the Spirit of life in Romans 8. We have the Spirit of life. We were dead in our transgressions and sins, and He made us alive in Christ Jesus. He has raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We have life in Jesus' name. Right, church? Thank you. And we are now invited to have not just life, but abundant life. To walk in its fullness. Now, I want to let you know that when we get to heaven, the utter absolute fullness of that life we will experience. And I'm looking forward to that. But right now, the invitation is, do you want to walk in abundant, not just life, that's great, but life to the full. I want to do that, and I hope you do as well. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, some of what I'm saying is not going to make sense. Just walk away with this. You have been held captive by the enemy. He is actually, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, your eyes have been blinded and you cannot see the truth. And so my heart goes out to you because Jesus wants to open your eyes to the truth. And my prayer, Spirit of God, may it be that your eyes be open this morning. The truth that we're going to discover in the Word and that we're going to look at in the next few weeks, that truth can set you free. But you are held captive 
in a snare, 2 Timothy 2.26 says, to do Satan's will. And so I beg you, I plead with you, allow God to open your eyes and be able to see this conflict for your soul. This battle is not just about lies and truths. It goes beyond that. This is not just whether you accept truth or not, whether there really is a God and he sent his son Jesus. You are in a battle, and Satan wants to take you down, take you out forever. You're in the kingdom of darkness. And may God, by his grace, rescue you from that darkness and bring you into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I want to bring your attention to one phrase before we move to our passage this morning. And in Luke 4.18, Jesus, I'm reminding you here, this is from last week, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim, to preach the good news. And we discovered that even though Jesus was God come in the flesh, that the word was made flesh, that God, Jesus, had relinquished some of his rights as a son, now came in the veiled glory of God, that veiled glory is the flesh, and consequently, one of those rights was that he would be able to source himself, and I'm wording it that way, source himself as God to heal. He surrendered that right. He, the, he now chose to do only what he saw the Father doing and to heal the sick and cast out demons by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. That is the word for Christ in verb form. He has anointed me to do these various things. One of those things that we discovered in my translation in the NIV says to release the oppressed. Now, I'm not going to preach this again. I'm just going to remind you that the literal Greek is translated to send away in freedom the, the broken, crushed one. Now, I'm repeating broken, crushed ones because I need you to understand that this Greek word doesn't mean just broken in half. It means broken in many pieces, beyond human repair. You see, part of the anointing of Jesus was that as the Messiah, as our Savior, that he came to mend you and be able to do what that best help book in books a million, cannot do for you. He came to heal you, to forgive you of your sins, to set you free from all the power of the, of the, de of the devil. You see, he came to forgive me of my sins and not just walk in forgiveness, but in the power to walk in freedom over those sins. But we were bruised, we were crushed in smithereens and only God could heal us. But now I wanna focus those first, those, it's three Greek words. It is to send away in freedom. Now your translation probably doesn't word it that way. What caught my attention was that Luke does an amazing job quoting from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation around 250 BC of the Hebrew Old Testament. He quotes word for word from the Septuagint, except this phrase. 
And I'm thinking, what's going on? Luke, why didn't you just stay with us for two years? You were doing great. And the Lord just showed me, it's because Luke wants to show you something. He's keeping with the understanding of the Greek translation, but he wants us to see something bigger. And it's this. You, my friends, though you are crushed, though you were broken into hundreds of pieces, he was anointed to heal you. And not just heal you, listen to me now, but to send you away in freedom. Excuse me, Sam, can you, can you bring my mic down just a little bit? He, this word send is the Greek word apostello. We get the word apostle from this, to send out, to send away. We actually encounter it here in the text. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the he has Jesus himself was apostel, was sent out. And now he is telling us, I am sending you out in freedom because you were crushed and now you are healed. Now the Greek from the Septuagint says to heal the brokenhearted. But Luke says, ah. I want us, this is Jesus' point. It's not just to heal you of all of your brokenness, but to send you out. So as I go through this next story that we're going to read here in, in verse 31 to 37, I want you to understand this isn't just Jesus anointed from the Lord, the sovereign Lord, which is the, the, the covenantal name Yahweh in, in Isaiah 61.1. It's not just him, but he has now called us to be the sent out ones as well. To walk in, listen, to walk in the very same power and authority to bring healing. Let's read then in this passage, Luke 4, 31. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because he, his message had authority. I guess they weren't used to that, huh? Now, really, many of the scribes and Pharisees would quote one another for authority. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't rely on the authority of man to prove his point. He just said, I'm sorry, but this is the way it is. This is the truth. He didn't appeal to any man. And his message, it says, came with authority. In the synagogue, there was a man, listen to this, possessed by a demon. Literally, it is a man having a demon. I'm, forgive these translators in using the word possess. That is, it, it tends to give us a, a miscomprehension of what's going on. The guy had a demon, okay? He had a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice in a setting much like this, cried out in the top of his voice, ha, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. He probably said it a little bit louder, though, than what I just said it. Do you think there was maybe just a little bit of disruption at this point? Mm, just a bit. Here's how Jesus handled it. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring all the people were amazed and said to each other, what is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. <laughs> I want you to see that 
second to the last verse, verse 36. This is what they are observing. What is this teaching? With authority and power, he is speaking to these demons and they're coming out. Jesus has been anointed by the Spirit for this ministry. He is now sending us out, even as he did with the apostles. Remember, on two occasions, he sent out the 12, then he sent out the 72, each time giving them power and authority. On the day of Pentecost, they were able to abide in that authority and receive that power from on high to be sent out. And even so to this day, every believer in Jesus Christ has this opportunity to stand in the authority of God himself and be sent out with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let let me just make sure that we're all on the same page here. Power and authority. Power is this Greek word dunamis. We get our English word dynamite from it, not that they're equivalent, but this word, there are other Greek words for might and strength, and this word dunamis is many times translated, at least in the NIV, as miraculous power. You know what a miracle is, right? A miracle means that God himself has stepped into a situation running its natural course And he alters it by his power. That is a miracle. It is not natural. It is super above nature, supernatural. That is power. That is this dunamis that we are talking about here. This is God's power to heal. When someone is sick, to be able to restore them. The woman the widow of Nain, whose son laid in a coffin, and they were in a funeral march, and Jesus reached up and touched the coffin. The guy suddenly stood up, freaked them all out, suddenly stood up, raised from the dead, miraculous power of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he was anointed from the Father to do all kinds of miraculous works. That was his calling. And I am suggesting, not that you have like in some way the same power, because Jesus had the spirit without limit, but that we are called to this. I want you to find yourself in a similar boat that Jesus invites you to. He had power. Authority is something different. This is a Greek word, exousia. Many times in the King James, the word exousia, which is right or authority, is translated power or virtue in some other ways. It is this word that's commonly used, authority. Authority, excuse me, miraculous. Let me make sure that, uh, okay, I'll do that next. Authority is the rightful use of power. If a policeman comes and knocks on your door, and as he's standing there, he says, I want to come in and search your house for any number of reasons. You see a gun at his side. You see he has two officers as backup in his car. That guy's got power. But he does not have the authority to come into your house. He has to go to the judge and request a search warrant. That search warrant 
is his authority to now come into your house. So now with that search warrant, he hands you, he has both the power and backup power and the authority to search your house and seize what he believes is contraband or whatever's against the law, et cetera, whatever he's looking for. That is authority and power. You can have authority without any power. If that guy does not have a gun and he's a weak little thing, five foot tall, no backup, he has probably no power if you're twice his size. You can take the guy. He might have that search warrant, but good luck to him, right? He can have the power because he's six foot six and probably three times your size with a gun and a taser and three guys in his car, but without that search warrant. No good. Power and authority. Let me just say this. That the authority that we have is from Christ. The power that we have is from the Holy Spirit. And so as a believer, you can have authority, but if you are not walking in the Spirit, there is probably very little power in your life but you have the authority. The authority we can see in passages such as John 5, verse 27. <laughs> this is Jesus speaking to his false accusers, the Jews. Um, <clears throat> he's talking about how the, how the Father has given him the authority to give life to whomever he will. And then he says in verse 27, and he has given him, referring to himself, authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. So Jesus himself has been given authority from the Father, not the Spirit. He has power from the Spirit. He has authority from the Father because of his relationship with the Father. He's the Son. As a matter of fact, he's not just the Son. He's the only begotten of the Father. We're simply adopted children, but children nonetheless. I'm getting to that. So he has authority. And in John's, yes, John 17 too, he says in his high priestly prayer, John 17, remember his high priestly prayer, he says, for you, referring to his father, he's praying to his father, you granted him, Jesus himself, authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. And I'm just simply suggesting Jesus has this authority because of his sonship and relationship to the Father. But you see, the Spirit has forgiven us of our sins, washed us clean. He has now birthed us into a family that I'm referring to Romans 8 here. And because we are a part of this family, we too are children of God. We are sons and daughters of God, co-heirs with Christ. And so because of this, you have this relationship with the Father. You have authority through Jesus Christ. You have authority over every demon. This is going to be significant as we get towards the end in the application, but we're going to get there. But you have authority. Now, according to Luke 4, Jesus has been anointed with the power to heal. Again, he did not source himself. He did not go around healing people because he was God but because he sourced the Spirit. 
Now, this is conservative teaching throughout the centuries. If you're wondering, where on earth is this coming from? That sounds off the wall. Maybe it's because you were never taught it. You do the Wayne Grudem's books, Theological um, Studies in Theology, any conservative, and they will explain to you, absolutely. Jesus healed because he was anointed by the Spirit. This is the same anointing that the book of Acts talks about that is at our disposal to walk in. Now, again, we have authority in Christ, but we have power through the Holy Spirit. Now, let's, let's look at a passage here. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Church, if we can get this, we're, we're going we're gonna to look at some things here I think is going to just open our understanding to this concept of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to discover that because of this, this power and authority that we have, we are immediately thrust into a conflict with the realm of darkness. Our problem is that we have such physical eyes and we have been trained in our culture to see only that which science can measure and weigh and test, that we do not see the things of the Spirit. That is unfortunate. May God open our eyes because every day you will encounter in some fashion, in some level, an encounter with the enemy. And my purpose here is to equip you with truth so that you can walk victoriously in the abundant life that Jesus calls you to. So are you there with me in Matthew chapter 12? Give me a moment as I do that. And Jesus has just cast out in, in Matthew 12... This demon, well, Matthew says he healed him. Luke says he cast him out. Regardless, it doesn't matter. The man is free, and he is no longer blind, and he is no longer mute. And the Pharisees say, he just does this by the power of Beelzebub. Excuse me if I'm a little crude here. This, these guys were just stupid. They were stupid. Idiots. They just didn't understand that, that Jesus... Jesus is God come in the flesh. How can Satan cast out Satan? And so Jesus says, a kingdom divided against itself will fall. Same with a city divided against itself, a house divided against itself. Now, my purpose right now is to focus on verse 28. Next week, I'm going to focus on verse 29. In the charismatic movement, which I generally fall into, in the charismatic movement, there's been a misunderstanding of that verse, and I need us to see it. What it means that Satan is bound. But that's not my purpose today. Verse 28, Jesus then says in verse 28, but if I drive out demons by the what? Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Demons are being cast out. And he's saying these demons are fleeing because it's the Spirit of God, of course, because Jesus is anointed with the Spirit, fully anointed, and has the Spirit, John, there we go, John 3, without limit, and he is walking constantly, moment by moment, Jesus, may we do this, but as a result, he just speaks the word. And the man is healed. Demon is cast out. He's free. This happened by the Spirit of God. And it is evidence that the kingdom of God is here. Does that not say something? Here's the kingdom of darkness. 
controlled by Beelzebub, Satan, nickname for Satan, the devil. And now the kingdom of God is coming in, invading his darkness, shining his truth, the light of the gospel, and people are being set free. The kingdom of God is invading. There is spiritual conflict here. You cannot avoid that. If, this, if you're going to walk in the spirit, if you're going to enjoy this life in the spirit, you will have spiritual encounters. And I'm trying to help you. You are going to encounter the enemy one way or the other, whether you see him or not. It's just that if you understand what's going on, you are better equipped to deal with the issue. So here is Jesus saying, the spirit of God is what is casting these demons out. Now, I want, to see, I want you to see something. This is so very cool. I want you now to turn to Luke 11. As you're turning to Luke 11, and it would behoove me to do that as well while I'm talking, but in Luke 11, it is the same story, incident recorded, <coughs> but Luke words it just a little differently, and I want us to look at why he words it differently. Let me just tell you this. Just about every theology book that I have read, commentaries on Luke and Acts call Luke the charismatic evangelist. Now, the reason why they do that is because he talks about the Holy Spirit anywhere between half as much more and twice, half again more to twice as much. And especially, he wrote the book of Acts, inspired by the Spirit, and that is about the, the apostles and Stephen, uh, who was not an apostle, and Philip, who was not an apostle. God taking his people, filling them with his Spirit, anointing them, and using them to rescue the lost. Philip cast out demons. It's not just the apostles. What I'm talking to you this morning is not just for those who lived 2,000 years ago or 1,900 years ago. It is for us because we are just like Philip. We are just like Stephen, filled with the Spirit to walk in the power and authority that God gives us through the Spirit. Now, if Luke places so much focus on the Holy Spirit, why does he do what we are about to read right now in Luke Chapter 11, verse 20. But if I drive out demons by, I'm sorry, what? What does your Bible say? The Holy Spirit, what does he say? The finger of God. Ooh. If I cast out demons by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Why? I mean, Luke, if you talk about the Holy Spirit so much, why do you, why do you, and I'm not saying that either the Holy Spirit was actually, Jesus speaking in Aramaic, that was the actual phrase that was used, or the finger of God. It could have been both. He could have simply said, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, that is the Spirit of God, know that the kingdom of God is coming. He could have worded it that way. I'm not concerned about who is actually quoting the exact words of Jesus and who is getting at the, a meaning of it. It doesn't matter. Why does Luke... Use this phrase, the finger of God. Now, the finger of God is used twice in the Old Testament, and Luke is appealing to this. One of them, one is which, do you remember who wrote the tablets, the Ten Commandments on both sides of the stones? It was the finger of God. Now, I'm just going to submit to you, as, as I've studied this, I don't think that's what Luke is referring to. There's one other place then. And I believe that this when we consider it, 
It makes total sense. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 8. You might remember the story of the Exodus, and I'm going to need to hurry up here, I think. And in the story of the Exodus, you remember Moses lacks complete self-confidence. He was full of himself at age 40 and complete lack of confidence by the time he's 80 when God actually calls him. Now that he is completely emptied of self and his ability to rely on self, he, he, he not only is the most humble man in all the earth, being a shepherd, whom, by the way, raised in an Egyptian, you're supposed to hate shepherds. They're so unclean. Look, really? We're going to allow the Israelites to live in the ocean. Not around me. We'll allow them to live in the ghetto, whatever. Uh, Jesus, or excuse me, Moses has been humbled for 40 years in the Midianite desert. He's now called of God as God appears to him through a burning bush. You can, it, we're not going to get into the dialogue. He completely lacks confidence, and now he is sent to confront the most powerful man, probably, on the face of the earth. Thank you, Lord. As he goes, he demonstrates signs and wonders. The first, you remember the first plague. The first plague, he, Aaron takes his, the staff of Moses, touches the Nile, and it turns into... It turns into blood, and that blood is not drinkable. But guess what? The, now, your version says the magicians of Pharaoh. Let me just insert, because this is, this is not just sleight of hand that they're doing. That's our understanding of magicians. I don't fault the NIV or the NASB or King James. They all translate it magicians. But I'm just simply saying it's not a good word for us today because magicians are showmen. These men were not showmen. They relied on their secret arts. Let me use a better word, either magi or sorcerers. They relied on the spirits of darkness. They understand demons, except they don't call them demons. They call them gods. Hello. And so these sorcerers of, of Pharaoh are able to do the very same thing, and they turned water into blood. The next plague, seven days later, it says, God tells Moses, go do this, that, or the other. Aye, aye, sir. He takes the staff in hand, touches the, the ground, and suddenly frogs come out of the Nile everywhere. And the sorcerers, Pharaoh, no problem. We got this. And they make frogs come out of the Nile. But guess who is able to stop the frogs? Yeah, about that. And so this third plague, same thing. Aaron is to take the staff of God, and he is to strike the ground and biting gnats. Now, your version doesn't say biting, but the, the Hebrew implies that. These are biting gnats. I mean, I've seen gnats waving, you know, they're bothered to get in your eyes, and oh, I hate this. But these were biting gnats, and they were everywhere, everywhere. Verse 18, but, but when the magicians, excuse me, sorcerers, tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not, and the gnats were on men and animals. The magicians, sorcerers, said to Pharaoh, this is the, help me out, church, the finger of God. This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh, excuse me, 
Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen just as the Lord had said. Now you remember last week when I said that the anointing oil, remember anointing oil and anything doing with the tabernacle or temple, they are merely shadows. Hebrews Colossians tells us these were shadows, festival shadows. This anointing oil was a shadow of that which is to come. The fulfillment is found, the anointing is found in the Holy Spirit. The anointing oil could not be duplicated. If you duplicated for personal use, these are God's words, not mine, you would be put to death. Pretty serious. The anointing oil was not to be duplicated. Why? Because now that we come into the new covenant and the Holy Spirit is poured out upon all, not just prophets, priests, and kings, all available to all, this anointing cannot be duplicated. Second Thessalonians 2, the, the man of lawlessness, he works with powers in accordance with the power of Satan. They are fake. They are counterfeit miracles, and they are not an anointing. They, don't, they mimic, but they are, do not resemble. Now, I talked about that just a little bit last week. The magicians, they can't do it. They can kind of keep up with Moses in the beginning and produce. They could never make them go away, by the way. They could not turn the Nile back into pure water. They could not remove the frogs. Moses, by the power of God, had to do that, but they can't duplicate this. And because they can't duplicate this, they come to this conclusion, whoa, this is the Hebrews' God. This is the finger of God. I think that's rather interesting because God communicates his power with the hand. In the very next chapter, with a plague, it says the, it calls the, it says the hand of God sent these plagues. The, these sorcerers... They're not even going to talk about the five digits in the palm, though. This is just a finger. This is one finger of God. I'm sorry if I'm playing around with this a little bit, but I'm, I'm, I'm wanting us to see. This is just the finger of God. Eat your heart out, Thanos. It took him too, right? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so, but the finger. I don't know. Maybe it's the pinky, but it's the finger of God. This is the power of God. And we can see that this are, there is conflict here. The magicians, the sorcerers could not duplicate this. Do you remember why does God exercise his finger in bringing all 10 plagues? Chapter 12, verse 12 tells us. Chapter 12, verse 12 tells us. Just go there real quickly with me. I, I need to be in a hurry. But in chapter 12, verse 12, it says this. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt Passover, you remember, and strike down every firstborn, both men and animal. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am Yahweh. All 10 plagues, and you can go through this if you've got a good study Bible and see what each plague attacked. Various animals that they worshipped, gods, etc. The Nile, hello. And, and it, God was showing himself and flexing his muscles and saying, I am far greater than all of these Fear me. And yet Pharaoh refused to fear God, and he hardened his heart. The finger of God was a clear demonstration of this conflict of kingdoms. The kingdom of God, which we're only getting a, a, a little bit of a understanding of, made clear in the new covenant, but we're seeing the kingdom of God assault the kingdom of darkness. That now, 
again, if you don't have spirit eyes, if you don't have spirit understanding, this is a little confusing. Okay, well, Pastor Mike, I mean, come on, really. These are just the gods, like the sun god. Like, yeah, he really has a lot of power. There's no such thing as a god little g. But do you not remember many times in old and new when they worshiped these idols, who were they really worshiping? Tell me, church, who were they really worshiping? Demons. That's absolutely right. Deuteronomy 32. They're worshiping demons. They weren't just worshiping others. They were worshiping demons. This is a conflict of kingdoms right here by the finger of God. And so Luke says, you know what? I, I just talked about, in Luke 11, I just talked about Jesus saying, but if you want the Holy Spirit, ask of the Father and he will surely give it to you. So you know what? I want, to, I want someone, I want people to understand this isn't just the spirit, this is the finger of God. This is conflict between two kingdoms as God's kingdom is invading this kingdom of darkness and confronting it and Jesus walks away the victor because Jesus' church is always the victor. And so consequently, we, again, we have authority in Christ because of what we're going to look at that next week, but I want us to see we have the power of the Spirit and anointed by the Spirit as Jesus himself was anointed, though not to the degree we can walk in this. The problem, though, is that your authority is a given because you are in Christ. But our power may be very weak. We're going to need to unwrap that a little bit as we go through Acts and the concepts of filling and such. But why was Stephen's, why was Philip chosen? Because they were full of the Spirit. They were anointed by the Spirit, and not everyone was. So I'm going to encourage you. Do you want to walk in the authority of Christ and with the anointing of the Holy Spirit so that when you are in conflict, the kingdom of God in you in conflict with Satan's kingdom, that you will walk away the victor. I don't think anyone sitting here would say, eh, no, I'll pass on that one. But the truth is, this is available to us, the power and the authority that we have in Christ by the Spirit. Now, I just need to unwrap that a little bit. Great, and I've got five minutes. Wonderful. So hang on. But <clears throat> in Luke 10... Verse 19, you remember when the 72 go out, when they come back, they're so excited. Wow, even demons are subject to us. This is so cool. <clears throat> it, I, I'm sorry, I just had a little flash of, uh, in the Incredibles, what's the little boy's name? Dash. And he says, this is so cool. You know, he's excited. This is so cool. Church, this is so cool. All right? And, and they're excited about this. this. Even the demons are subject to, and Jesus, Jesus says, yeah, 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 but, you know, let's tone it down a little. Let's understand priorities here. And this is how Jesus reminds He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Not that Satan fell from heaven. The lightning did. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority. Where'd that authority come from, church? Jesus. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to do what? To overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This life 
that is ours, that we have inherited through Christ from God, this life that will be fully manifest in heaven. We get to walk in it, church. That is so cool. And we walk in it when we choose to walk in the authority and the power of God. So I'm just telling you, you to overcome all the power of the, not most of the power of the enemy, not just a little bit, because you know what, guys? He's pretty strong. No, all the power of the enemy, because the spirit is infinitely greater than this created angel who fell and is now led completely by sinful desire. That guy, the devil, he will have his end. Today, greater is he that is in you than he that is in, wor- in the world. <clears throat> So how do we do this? And I've got only a few minutes. I'm going to elaborate more next week. I'm just kind of getting our feet wet here a little bit. In Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And what? Do not give the devil a, the Hebrew word there is tapos. Don't give the devil a place. That's the literal translation, place. King James translates it. NIV says foothold. By giving into sin, we are giving the devil a place to put his foot, not just an opportunity. Some translations translate it that way, opportunity. It's just fine, but it's more than that. It is a place for him to be able to launch attack, close that door. Don't give him that foothold, that place. How do we do this? Because the devil, I don't care where your theology stands on this. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, oh, goodness. The thoughts in your pastor's mind sometimes. I remember being in the hospital and a very close friend of my wife's and I, the gentleman was in there because he had edema. And he turned to me and he said, Mike, can a Christian have edema? Can a Christian have a demon? Is he in the Christian? Is he just kind of attached to the Christian? Is he kind of outside and reaching in? It truly doesn't matter. We have the power and the authority over all the power of the enemy, church. It doesn't matter where this devil is located, this demon is located. I, I truly think I could care. the scripture cares less, and it doesn't get into that. There are those that were in because they were cast out. But how about others in which it doesn't say that they were cast out, but that the power of the enemy was broken over their life? So we encounter these footholds. We encounter the operation of the enemy. When we are in conflict, how do you deal with that foothold? How do you deal with it? Now, I'm just going to tell you in James 4, 7, it says, submit to God and rebuke the devil. You can rebuke the devil because he has given you authority and power, authority in Christ and power by the Spirit. When you are encountering temptations, you can rebuke the devil and he must flee as long as you are submitting to God. As long as your heart is yielding to him and not the temptation, but that you are saying, God, I am so tempted right now. I need your grace in my life. Satan, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. It's not, well, Satan, could you kind of get off my back a little bit? Just just take a step back. Thank you. Uh, Please leave me alone. Um, And and many times we bow our heads. Satan, I just bind you in Jesus' name. What, What are we bowing our heads for? 
Are we in some way wanting to honor him? I think maybe we do this because we're dealing in a spirit realm. And so spirit realm, okay, I bow my head. I'm not going to do that. If I'm praying, I'm going to humble myself before God. But if I'm going to address the devil, I am not going to bow my head. Excuse me. And as long as I'm remembering, I'm going to open my eyes. I'm in spiritual conflict right now. I'm going to tell the devil to get lost. When Jesus did that, he said back there in Luke 4, he didn't say to the demons crying out, shh, can you please keep it down? He said, shut up. He said, silence. He said, close your mouth. Be quiet. He was firm. He was engaged in a spiritual battle. There was no please here. There was no excuse me as I try to act like a gentleman. This is life or death. Do you follow me? Now, he then says, come out of him in the imperative. That's a command. And he does not, I'm sorry, would you mind just back, take a step back there. Okay, you're good. All right, good. Uh, Would you mind, please? No, come out of him. Now, because my authority is not in myself, I say, in Jesus' name. Come out of him in Jesus' name. There is authority that we must speak with. There is a seriousness when we are dealing with the enemy, when we are telling him to back off, when we rebuke him. In the midst of temptation, in the midst of struggle, even at times when we are getting sick, because sometimes these sicknesses Search your scriptures, the gospels. Some of these sicknesses are derived because the enemy, Satan, has a foothold. Satan is producing this. The man mutant and blind, he wasn't mutant and blind just because he was mutant and blind. He, had to, he needed a demon cast out. So I, I'm wanting us to see this is deeper than just this intellectual society that we live in, that everything, if, it's, if science can't discover it, it doesn't exist. Excuse me. God cannot be put under a microscope. You cannot discover him with science. You might be able to see his fingerprints in the universe, but we discover him when our eyes are opened and we understand who he is. And it is spiritually discerned, not physically. And so I'm encouraging church, understand we are in this conflict and he's going to come at you through so many different ways. There's so many ways. And, and I'm just, this is like an introduction to an introduction. I understand that. I want to go back now and wrap it up with this. What was the mistake that I made when I was talking with this gentleman over the phone? I was loving. I was patient. I was kind to him. I went the extra mile with him. I actually answered the phone when he called back. Why? Because I truly did love this person, and I wanted to see his misunderstanding that was making him so angry be put to rest and shed truth, share truth, and shed light on the matter. Initially, he wouldn't listen to me. Eventually, he did. But the problem was, number one, I did not think... Maybe I should have had this conversation after I preached this sermon. But I needed to have my eyes opened that this was a spiritual conflict, and I did not see that. And I treated it strictly in the natural. 
Now, it turned out, but hang on a second because I'm going to let you know I missed something. Just a moment. So number one, we need to have spirit eyes. We need to have spirit control, not revenge, and be able, but be able to see beyond the natural. Number two, in these situations, not only have spirit eyes and be spirit controlled, but number two, speak truth into the situation. When the devil comes at you, like you ever, you ever have a, nat, a nipping dog at your heels? It's like, get away. Sometimes it hurts just a little bit. But it's like, man, I'm going to trip over you and I'm going to hurt myself. And, and, and I'm just telling you, you know, those, those dogs, this is like a, these demons speak lies into you. And you might walk away fine. Say, oh, that's, just, that's just self-talk there. That's what psychology, that's just self-talk. No, that is actually a demon speaking a lie into your mind and you're starting to believe it. So speak truth confess truth. Don't just don't think the truth. Confess it. Believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and confess with your mouth and you will be saved. There's something about speaking out loud the truth. When Jesus was tempted, he didn't quote the scripture under his breath. He didn't just think it. He spoke it out loud three times. You follow me? Luke 4. So we, we confess it. We confess truth. We speak it. All right? It's not that there's some spiritual ooh, power when you speak words. You know, these are truths, and when we speak truth, the Spirit of God uses truth to rescue the lost when we're speaking the gospel, to speak truth into someone's life to set them free. It's because the Spirit is coupled with that truth. That's what gives truth the power for you to walk in freedom. So just speak the truth to yourself and do so out loud. Number three. Don't be a gentleman. Don't be a lady. When you're dealing with the demonic, don't be nice. I'm not saying be harsh. Don't cuss out the devil. Don't do that. Don't get in his face and slander him. Jude in 2 Peter says, don't slander spiritual beings. I'm not telling you to do that. Michael the archangel didn't do that. Speak it with firmly. Speak it firmly. Speak as if there is an intruder in your home and that he wants to have your wife and your daughters. Oh, yeah, you're going to go through me. Oh, yeah, and you're going to stand your ground. You will assault him if necessary to remove him from your house. Right, men? Am I not right? You will not be, excuse me, I'm sorry, but did you realize you just walked in my front door? I'm not getting good vibes about this. Uh, I'm not sure you have good intentions. Could, I'm sorry, could you please leave? No, I'm calling the police right now. If you don't leave in two seconds, I'm coming after you and I will take you down and it's either gonna be your life or mine, all right? I'm sorry, that's, as a guy, that's the way I would treat it, except I wouldn't give him two seconds. And so consequently, speak with authority, church, in Jesus' name. When a policeman who's being trained steps out into traffic to stop traffic and tweets his, oh, please stop, please, please stop. Yeah, he's going to get run over. Trust me. He will, I don't care what orange vest he has. He's going to get, yeah, you're, you're gone. When a, a veteran steps out there, he steps out, puts the forward, and he blows his whistle like you just lost your hearing, blows his whistle, and you stop. You're terrified. I just, just put the fear of God in that demon, church. Put the... 
Yeah, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? But you confront him with the authority that you have in Christ. All of you have it who are in Christ. Lastly, and I, I, I'm way over time, excuse me. When you do this, it will always open the door to ministry. That's what I missed. I had an opportunity for ministry, and I missed it. And when you are in this encounter with the enemy, and you are standing on behalf of someone, what an opportunity for ministry. When someone is believing lies and they're coming to you, what an opportunity for ministry. Not just, well, you know what, you know, this is probably just self-talk, and you just need to realize, yeah, Jesus loves you. Yep. Jesus loves you. What a profound truth that can break any stronghold, church. The love of God, the reckless love of God, you hear me? And yet, yep, Jesus loves me, this I know. Yep. I, mean, I, I tell you what, that is one of the most profound truths that will set people free. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Truth that opens the door for ministry. And I'm, I'm sharing this with you because not only do you want to walk in this abundant life, but you want to help others do that. Then do those things. Have spirit eyes. Understand the authority with which, excuse me, speak the truth. Understand the authority that you have in Christ and the power by the Spirit. And let God open the door for ministry. Let God open the door to be able to set captives free. That was the purpose of the anointing. Church, you are sent out, away, sent out in freedom because you were once broken, crushed ones. And Jesus has mended you by the power of the cross. Can you receive that message this morning, church? Can you stand with me? I'm sorry I went way, way over this morning. Um, there's so much in this. Hmm. Can we just dim the light, Sam? And this one, too. And I, I, church, forgive me. I realize I am way over time here. I believe God wants to minister to some people this morning. I believe that as you've heard truth and you want to walk in the authority of Christ, the door is now open for ministry. And some of you have been harassed and harassed and harassed, and you find yourself today, though Christ has healed you, you are needing that healing again. Though he has mended the broken places, there are still places that the enemy keeps breaking and you are needing healing in. So Jesus, I just ask you right now, Heal the wounded hearts, the broken hearts. Restore the crushed ones. Restore those who have been oppressed, believing lies. And I can find myself doing this, God. Forgive me. Just speak truth over us, God. Truth over us. The reckless love of God steps into this broken world and heals the crushed ones. Speak that truth into some hearts this morning.